Welcome to the Dildorks Dorky Discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I got back on Tinder recently and uh, was just really reminded how bad the messages on there can be. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I do not envy anyone trying to wade back into the dating world right now, but uh, what can you do? (laughs) Who are you, friend? (laughs) I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a porn maker. And like coming into early 2020, I was just really excited to be in a place where I felt like really good in my gender and was like coming out of recovery from surgery and just was excited to spend 2020 going out and and dating new people and learning what that looked like for who I was then. And so (laughs) we're here now. Um, And theoretically, I'm trying that this summer, latter half of this year. God only knows. <laughs> Do you um, feel like the extra time that you were given during the pandemic to like become more comfortable with who you are will be like an asset in rejoining the dating scene? I mean, yes. And like I have certainly learned a lot and grown um, and yes, being a better version of me will make me, will help me be better in my relationships, I think. Uh, And I was going into 2020 kind of at a point in my personal growth where I had done a lot of work on who I was and um, what I knew about myself and was very much in a place where I was more about exploring connection with other people. Mm-hmm. and what my relationships looked like and how to work on those things. And the pandemic was just not a great time to reflect on those things. <laughs> so like, yeah, I grew, but not necessarily in terms of dating and relationships in as much as I would have, I think, had I not been locked in my house for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cool thing about this moment is that almost all of us have had at least some degree of social isolation. So the mm-hmm. playing field is somewhat evened in that way. But yeah, it's, it's so an interesting yeah. prospect. Pretty much every social interaction I've had thus far within the first, you know, quarter of the interaction, I say something along the lines of, you know, one of us says something along the lines of how we don't quite know in, how to interact anymore. And like social like, interaction is so like anxiety provoking and also kind of weird and awkward. And that always like breaks that tension right away and everyone is like oh my god yeah me too and it like things tend to flow a lot more easily after that which has been nice yep for sure um but we're talking about this today because recently uh we received an email from a listener who had a lot of questions about uh re-emerging into the dating scene particularly as a trans feminine person who is like better connected with her gender or has like has a better understanding of her gender and what that feels like right now, um, and is reemerging after some time not dating. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this because I thought, first of all, it's a really interesting topic. Second of all, I'm a bit lazy, and it was a full episode just right there in the email. It was fantastic. <laughs> so many interesting things for me to just talk about on the show. Yeah. Um, cause there, there, this person had a lot of really excellent questions and we're going to get into them in a bit, but also I think this is a really relatable thing for a lot of people, particularly our listeners, mm-hmm. because I think we are all reemerging 
as a slightly different person than we were, if not drastically different person than we were yeah. after some time of probably not dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, I know so many people who um, either discovered or explored their transness more during the pandemic. So I do think there are also a lot of people out there who are emerging from the pandemic in a new and different gender and trying to figure out what socializing and dating looks like after that. Yeah, I do think that it is such a broadly relatable topic right now. And like normally we wouldn't just like directly take a listener's specific questions about their lives and like make a whole episode about it. But like I have also seen a ton of people like coming out with like new gender, new names, new pronouns, um, new haircuts. They're they're really overhauling the whole thing, which is so awesome to see. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm curious about how that'll go for folks in terms of dating because I'm sure it's very, very nerve wracking, but also you do have that added benefit of like all the other people, including people who didn't make any changes to how they identify during the pandemic are still also like still getting their sea legs or whatever in terms of dating post pandemic. So Mm -hmm. for sure. So just in general, off the top, let's talk about some tips on returning to dating after taking a long break. What do you think is most important when doing that? Yeah, well, I think... I mean, we're lucky now, like we've been saying for a bit about uh, because so many people are experiencing something similar to us. But in a circumstance other than this, I do think it is important to be like upfront about that and clear about that. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have a big serious conversation about that. You don't have to be like, well, you know, you are my first date after a long time. But you can very easily work it into conversation or, you know, even refer jokingly, like, gosh, I'm still, you know, you gotta let me know if I'm flirting well, I'm, I'm feeling a bit rusty. It's, it's been a while since I've been on a date, you know, I've had some other stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. But enough, because I know for me, if I did not say that early on, um, I would spend the whole date being like, do they know? Can they tell? Do they, am I being weird? Is this what dating is like? I don't even understand how to do this anymore. Is this, can they tell? They can definitely tell. They're wondering why I don't know how to date as an adult. Oh my God. Um, so just kind of cutting that off at the pass and and making sure they have that information already will help me relax. Um, because honestly, they probably don't care that much like they're not judging you as much as you're judging you about that yeah I remember when I was chatting with my friend Brent about uh, I had started dating this guy who told me that he hadn't really dated or had sex in like four years mm-hmm. and I mentioned this to Brent and he was like hmm like that seems like maybe the guy is like asexual or like sexually awkward or something Um, Because why would you wait that long? And like, as it turned out, I'm pretty sure that that guy was asexual. But I Mm -hmm. also think that that's like not necessarily a fair assessment to have made just from that one piece of information. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of us judge ourselves for taking breaks from dating as if like it means something about us as people. And, And sometimes it just means you've been taking some time to yourself to like figure out who you are and get stronger in your sense of self or you've been busy with work or you've been busy with managing your health or like whatever um I think it's really easy to judge yourself for that but please try to be gentle with yourself yeah and I think the way that you talk about that time off is going to say a lot to uh your partner about how to 
I don't know, look at that time, right? I think it could be really easy to be like, God, and I haven't dated anyone in so long and it's been so lonely or, you know, just, I just, it's been so exhausting, but I haven't had the time, right? Um, Or Mm -hmm. I think we see a lot of people on like, I just can't find anyone. I just can't find anyone, you know? Um. That is not going to come across great versus I personally would respond really well to someone being like, yeah, I haven't been prioritizing dating the past like year or two. So, you know, I may be a little bit out of practice, but, uh, I, you know, I had other stuff going on and I knew I couldn't dedicate the time and attention to the people I was dating that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Because you, what you're saying with that is, hey, I can look at myself and tell when I am in a good position to show up for my relationships and to build connections and romantic connections and when it doesn't make sense for me to be doing that. And that's a valuable trait for me and a partner. Yeah, I would much rather date someone who's taken some time to like get ready to be you know, emotionally available for dating rather than someone who's just like dating to date and like maybe Mm -hmm. isn't in the best place to actually be doing that. Mm -hmm. I also think like when I've gotten back into dating after taking some time off, um, I found it really helpful to think of dates as just like a way of getting to know a new person and spending time with a new person and just fun for the sake of that time that you're going to spend together on that one date. Like I try Mm -hmm. not to think far ahead about like, are they going to like me enough to want to be in a relationship with me or to want to have sex with me? Or like, how can I impress them? How can I seduce them? All of this kind of stuff that it's like a bit more complicated than just the more basic thing of like going on a date to spend some time with another person who hopefully you'll enjoy spending time with and just like have an interesting conversation that you wouldn't have had any other way because you hadn't met this person. And -hmm. I think that uh, when both people go into it with that kind of attitude, it's much more easy for something to develop organically from that. Yeah, for sure. I I think you definitely want to, when you're thinking of returning to dating, not necessarily lower your expectations, but adjust them to what the experience of dating likely is going to be versus, you know, I am dating with this big end goal. We talk a lot about removing this goal-oriented idea from sex, right? It's not all about the orgasm. Well, Mm -hmm. dating, it isn't all about finding a life partner necessarily. It can simply be about socializing in a fun, flirty way with peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think especially in the queer and trans community, you might find yourself going on dates where there's no romantic chemistry really, but you've just made a new friend. And uh, you'll definitely have an easier time doing that if you approach them as just like a cool human being who you want to chat with rather than like somebody who you're trying to get into bed or whatever. Yeah, I think probably 30 or 40 percent of Ash's like chosen family are people that they met on dating apps and went on like one or two (laughs) dates and were like, like, this is fun, but we're not. Well, we might bang, but we're probably not going to. But like, this is fun. We should keep (laughs) And now we have orgies at their houses. It's great. Excellent. (laughs) That's an ideal outcome. Yeah. This listener was wondering about navigating dating with a completely different social status. Because, yeah, different social statuses can be ascribed to different genders. Certainly, like, more masculine people are seen as having, like, more power and potentially being, like, more physically dangerous 
in many cases. Um, and then, yeah, there's just like different considerations. So I was wondering what your tips are for that. Yeah, I, it's really fucking complicated, um, honestly. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, like for myself when I was thinking about dating as a dude type now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what the answer is other than start doing it. Um, be conscious of, like, you want to learn and listen to other people's experiences, right? And be conscious of, you know, what are, listen to other people with the same gender views. So the person who uh, emailed us is trans feminine. I'm a trans guy. I spoke to a lot of other trans guys. I also spoke to a lot of other trans women and non-binary folks. And when I was speaking to those folks, it was really helpful to hear their experiences to get kind of an idea of what I might expect to encounter. So in speaking to folks with similar genders to me, it helped me to kind of expand my thinking. I learned a little bit about their own experiences. And I also, so it gave me some ideas of what to expect and some tools that they had already come up with, things that worked for them uh, in the dating world. And things to kind of be on the lookout for um, and and be aware of. It's also helpful for me, though, I listen to a lot of women, cis and trans alike, about what it is like to flirt with dudes and men and the mm-hmm. things that make them feel safe and the things that make them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so in as much as I was listening to my peers for kind of support and solidarity, I was also looking to the kinds of people I am interested in flirting with for guidance on what feels good for them and what doesn't. Um, The only way I could really learn was through practicing. Like it's, I wanted to be aware of all of those things, but it's very easy to get caught up in that and thinking about it too much. And like, what does it mean now to be flirting as a guy? And how is that different from how I flirted as a woman? Cause it certainly is. If you were to copy and paste my mannerisms as a woman onto me, now that I get read as a guy, a lot of the time, I am a very different person. And they're like <laughs> things that were effusive and giddy and like joyful probably come across as like, threatening and like overbearing and can would certainly make people uncomfortable um Mm -hmm. in my current gender so like there is a lot there to be aware of but it is also so easy to get so caught in the spiral of like well, how do I flirt with this person in a way that is like affirming of my gender and make sure that they think I'm a dude when I'm when I'm flirting with them but also isn't is and is like clear enough and forward enough to be flirty but not like so clear and forward that it is overbearing and uncomfortable and i just go down the rabbit hole and and close out the text message and never send the flirt (laughs) so like you want to be aware of these things you want to have community that is in discussion about these things with you and you don't want to let it completely shut you down and get into like analysis paralysis that was Mm -hmm. a very rambly answer but (laughs) No, I mean, there's there's a lot to cover there. And I, mm-hmm. I really like your emphasis on 
talking to people who have the relevant experiences. Because, like, from what I understand from listening to some of my trans friends, including you, um, you can't necessarily think back and be like, well, when I was identifying as a girl and flirting with men, like, what um, – what kinds of things would I have liked to hear from those men? And can I say those things to to women now? Because like having been trans, you're not necessarily going to have like the same thoughts and experiences and desires around that as like, say, a cis woman would. Mm-hmm. But uh, then again, like you might, who knows? Um, but it did make me wonder, like, do you think that media models are at all a useful tool here in terms of like, because I know that when you were trying to figure out how to pose in in sexy ways in a more masculine way like you you looked at a lot of like photos of men posing to kind of pick up on that and I'm wondering do you think that the same thing can be done in terms of like flirting as a new gender oh for sure I used media archetypes all the time in understanding my gender and kind of what it meant to be a really animated and effusive and kind of silly kind of flirty guy Um, because it is not a thing you see all over the place, but there are certainly some representations of it in media. I've been recently showing my partner Doctor Who for the first time, and they were seeing, like, Ten and Jack Harkness and, like, looking at the screen and looking at me and looking at the screen and looking at me, and I'm like, listen, I don't, we don't need to talk about it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, there, it, it can be really helpful to see pictures of um or examples of what different mannerisms look like on the gender you identify with um media is not always a perfect role model for building relationships and healthy flirting styles um like (laughs) i don't know that i want all the trans guys in the world turning to rom-coms to learn how to woo someone but um (laughs) It is certainly a thing you can look to, to, I don't know, read the temperature of the social expectations. Like, you don't need to conform to all of them, but to just kind of get a feeling for like, okay, but what is the world used to seeing in these models? And what of that ring is true for me? Right. It seems like it would be tricky because like, as with porn, something like a rom-com is not necessarily showing you know, how actual women actually flirt or even Mm -hmm. how actual men always want women to flirt with them. Um, Mm. But it is showing, as you said, like a particular image that a lot of us are familiar with of maybe how women flirt. So like even just, you know, becoming familiar with that might give you a jumping off point or at least some useful information, if not a direct blueprint for what to do. Right, for sure. And the only media in the world is not mainstream media. Right, right, that's true. You can, you can seek out shit made by queers um, mm-hmm. and see representations of people that feel more true to you. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, media includes the social media influencers we follow and, like, you know, the people on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram that are role modeling, you know, sharing their lives with us. But, it, you know, that is all also can be representations of what your gender might look like. Yep. Cool. That sentence was a lot of words, and I think (laughs) in that order they vaguely (laughs) meant a thing. I'll find out when I edit. Yeah. Yeah, It's fine. (laughs)
This is Kate from A Later Date, just popping in because we recorded this one several weeks ago before we launched our new Patreon perks, and I want to talk about them for a sec. I also want to say my voice probably sounds weird. I just got a dental thing done, and there's a lot of freezing in my lips and mouth aren't working too great yet, um, but I'm not giving any VJs, so it's okay. I'm just reading this podcast mineral. Um, our new Discord community is up and running. There are so many cool people having interesting conversations in there already about dating and kink and video games and politics and more, which makes me really happy. We're still asking that any existing Patreon patrons go and update their pledges for our new perk structure. If you want to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com slash the dildorks. You can choose to give $6 a month for access to that awesome Discord community to talk to fellow uh, dildorks fans and also to us. Um, $12 a month for access to not only the Discord community, but also our monthly intimate bonus episodes, of which the first one has been posted now. Or $18 a month for all of that, plus a tailored personal response to up to one advice question per month and a shout out on every episode while you're supporting. Our current highest tier supporters are Amelia, Matthew, Nat, and Stabatha Christie. Thank you so much to them and to all our other patrons for helping to keep this show going. Now back to the show. The listener was wondering how to address being essentially an awkward teen at the age of 30. I feel like I hear this a lot from my trans friends that, like, they go through a second puberty, which sounds fucking hellish to me. Mm -hmm. Puberty 1.0 was hard enough. So, yeah, I, I have a very hard time imagining how, how will one adapt to going through puberty for a second time when you're an adult and also trying to date other adults? Right. And so many trans folks talk about second puberty and so many cis folks hear it as a joke because I've gone through the process many times of like talking about, no, by puberty, I mean, there is a new influx of hormones in my body that is going to give me all of the symptoms you had when you were, I don't know, 13 to 16. Mm -hmm. And I am navigating the world in a new gender, all of these things we were just talking about, I am learning to navigate a new section of the world as a new kind of person, which is also very much the thing you're doing as a teenager. You're exploring your independence for the first time. You're flirting for the first time and like figuring out what all of that looks like. And that's very much what is happening for, uh, or at least what happened for me as I was exploring my gender and like really settling into what that felt like for me. And learning how to navigate the world as a dude, which is new to me. Um, so it very, very much feels like a second puberty in like all of the physical and social aspects of it. Um, and I, much like I was talking about earlier with, uh, and like I say with most things, get that out of the way up front. Um, like you could throw a little joke about it. You can just make folks aware that it is a thing that you feel kind of awkward about. Um, don't be afraid of occasionally being embarrassed by things. If you are constantly like embarrassed and ashamed of the fact that you're going through puberty at 30, um, every thought, like 
it's going to happen. Like, it's going to come up. I don't know. My voice is going to crack in public. If I was going to be embarrassed every time my voice cracked in public as a 26-year-old man, I was going to spend a lot of time being embarrassed. So instead, (laughs) every time my voice cracked, I laughed about it and was like, yeah, well, just going through puberty, you know? Um, And it was, I, I had the things I could refer to about it and make jokes about it. I could talk to people about my experience. Um, and it was a thing that I was just open about. Uh, and it made it less of a stressful and anxious thing to go through, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Like when I think of my own puberty, I think a huge part of what makes it emotionally difficult for many folks is the sense of like suddenly being very visible as Mm -hmm. a potentially sexual being um, and, and not being used to that. And of course, when you transition, you're suddenly very visible in a, in a different way and you have to learn to navigate that, I'm sure. So you've dated other trans folks, you've dated cis folks. Do you think that dating other trans folks is like a good way for folks to like wade into this or I don't know, like, would that be helpful at all? Yeah. I think so. Um, I think it is more helpful to just have other trans folks in your circles, whether mm-hmm. you're dating them or not. Um, and that also kind of connects to the last question here that the listener asked us, which is, um, I found that people I'm interested in are more likely to be attracted to me when I act more stereotypically feminine than is natural at this point. That is, I enjoy passing like this in their eyes, but can't sustain it for long and the prospect of a slip is nerve-wracking. Am I the problem here, or do I crush on the wrong people? Yeah, so the reason I wanted to raise that alongside this is because I am, I suppose I am assuming that the people you are describing having a crush on are cis, and that trans folks are not expecting you to pass in this way. Um, But I could be wrong. Um, So yeah, I think it can be really helpful to have a lot of trans folks in your circles and in your corner and to be dating other trans folks uh, when you're exploring your gender. Having them in your corner can be super helpful. And I know, and there's not a way to say this that doesn't sound shitty, but it's it's the truth, so I'm going to go with it. Um, There were definitely times early in my transition where I was more interested in dating cis folks because having them affirm my gender felt somehow more valid than having it affirmed by other trans folks, Mm. which is fucked, by the way. That makes Um, total sense, though, with the way that the broken world's fucking power structures are set up. Exactly. Um, There was something that felt particularly affirming and validating specifically having like cis gay men attracted to me, which Mm -hmm. like are not the people that I spend the most of my time dating right now. (laughs) Yeah. Not the people I have the most in common with. Uh, There are certainly some lovely ones out there, but because I was in a place where I had a lot of questions about my gender, which again, is true of all puberties. Like, we have a lot of questions about who we are becoming and what our new place in the world kind of looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, It meant a lot for me to 
um, have someone kind of outside all of this look at me and affirm my gender and say, yes, you're a dude, because I was inside being like, I'm pretty sure I'm a dude. I don't hang on. Let me check again. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) And that is less true for me now. uh, And I am finding myself more and more attracted to dating other trans folks. Um, So... We wound up a little bit down a rabbit hole of my own experience and <laughs> away from the question. I actually want to, do you mind if I just add something? <laughs> we're we're yes. so messy here. Um, I want to add also that when I asked this question before, I didn't mean that you should like practice on trans people so that you can date cis oh. people. Like, um, I, yeah, I'm worried if it sounded like that, which is not what I meant. Um, or that trans people are like easy mode and cis people are hard mode or whatever. I just mean like, um, yeah, it sounds like maybe this person in this in this question or in this email is like asking about dating cis people, and I was wondering, like, I don't know, there are there other options that are worth considering here, you know? Yeah, for sure, and that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience with that because, like, yes, part of the answer I think is surrounding yourself with people with similar experiences to you um, and who understand how to support you and the those people are often other trans folks um and surrounding yourself by them and dating them is a really really helpful thing early on in transition and i'm sure i'm not alone in going into my transition and feeling like becoming trans meant i could only then hang out and date other trans people because they were the only people who would ever understand and affirm my gender and that Mm -hmm. was a big fear i had going into it which is wild because i pretty much only want to hang out with other like trans and queer people (laughs) like they they are my favorite people and they're really fucking rad um and the idea of choosing to be put exclusively in that box whether or not that is exclusively where I want to hang out forever felt really scary I think another element of this question that I'd love to hear you talk more Mm -hmm. about is like this person is struggling with feeling pressured to pass as stereotypically feminine presumably around cis folks and I know that like you have dealt with cis people having expectations for your gender that were like not realistic or not accurate or whatever and I'm wondering if you have like general tips for like I don't know dating cis people who maybe are like not that smart about trans issues and like how to deal with that yeah thank thank you for bringing me back around because I am (laughs) a little chaotic today um but yes um I think so there there are two avenues I kind of want to go down with this question. First of all, I would uh, encourage you to kind of reflect on how many of those expectations they actually have of you and how many of those expectations you have of yourself. Mm. Um, How many of those are things you're assuming they're thinking or seeing or... um, and, and, And how much is like really out there because there certainly is plenty of things that like we we have to perform perform our genders in a certain way to have them acknowledged and we can't always remove ourselves from situations where you know that is the case Mm -hmm. um 
I found that it was the easiest for me to deal with, put up with, tolerate, um, endure other people's expectations of my gender when I understood what my expectations of my gender are. And that's not just a thing that you can just go like flip the light switch and do. However, um, once I was at a place in my understanding of my gender and of my body that I was fairly confident in that I could under, that I could like explain succinctly to other people if I felt like it or didn't. Um, it was a lot easier for me to care less about other people's expectations of my gender. Um, like I am misgendered now and on the bad days, it bothers me a lot more, but like I've been wearing nail polish lately uh, and I've, gotten misgendered a little more often than usual with that mm-hmm. and now my reaction is more to just be like oh look they're they're confused oh they're they don't understand gender it's fine they'll figure it out <laughs> um and just know that that's not a person I want to spend a ton of time with mm-hmm. um rather than relying on like I talked about earlier other people's respect of my gender to affirm my own understanding of it uh, mm-hmm. And those are not things that you can just make happen and that's going to happen with time and you are deserving of respect and love and affection while you're still working on getting to that place with your gender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it can be helpful to understand that other people's expectations about your gender are about them. And they can feel really huge and heavy right now when you're still figuring things out, but they won't always. And they're they're not about your gender. They're about theirs. Mm-hmm. Ooh, sage advice. Um, the listener was also wondering, how can I stay safe and have my boundaries respected when at this stage I have a lot of boundaries and a lot of them are changing rapidly as I relearn and gain self-confidence? And how do I do that without being someone who complains and changes her mind all the time? And this, I mean, this isn't, this isn't a gendery question. This is just a moving through the world question, honestly, <laughs> especially as a person with any sort of mental illness or neurodivergence. Or trauma history. Yeah. Or, yep. Uh, physical disability. Like, yeah, there's a lot of different things that this could apply to. Yeah. Uh, and the first answer is have a fairly thorough understanding of your own boundaries. Um, they, they, they may be fair, you know, changing and rather rapidly even at this point, but I think you can probably get down to the, the core of what they are, mm-hmm. right? If, uh, you know, some days touch in certain areas feels good and some days it doesn't. Well, maybe like the firm boundary is like I need to always be checked in with about touch, mm-hmm. right? There's there's kind of a common ground there. Um, and recognize the things that are going to set you off like hard and fast, right? The, 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 the big ones. Mm-hmm. And like identify there and if you can kind of sum up several uh 
in in one rule, much like I was saying, right, you have XYZ areas that feel good and other ones that feel good depending on the day and other ones that never feel good. And like, you can just say, I have a boundary where I like to be checked in with before I'm touched. And like, I can let you know what feels good on that day. Um, rather than being the person who is like, well, so my tits feel this way, but like, I love my ass, but like never touch, touch my junk, but like sometimes touch my left knee, but not my right. It's weird. (laughs) I don't know. Um, you can just kind of sum that all up in like, well, this is the understanding of my boundaries that you need. These are the cliff notes because Mm -hmm. I think regardless of the person, it, it is easy to be intimidated by like, here is my long list of boundaries that you need to know before ever playing with me. Mm -hmm. If you can sum it up to like, this is what you need to know on this date with me. And if we get to this other place, I'll talk about my more specific boundaries around this, but having an understanding of what they are um, and how you're going to communicate them is going to make that, I think a little easier going into the situation. Mm Mm-hmm. I've often found it helpful to ask for something I want, which I know is really Mm. scary sometimes, especially if you're like still figuring out what you want. But like, for example, if I'm having a bad knee pain day and I have a date planned, I don't always necessarily want to be like, hey, so I have a chronic pain condition and I can't (laughs) go on the like hiking thing that you wanted to do or whatever. Like, so instead I might just be like, can we go see a movie or can we like go have like a sit down lunch or whatever? And you can do something similar during sex. Like if I'm, if my knee pain so bad that I can't like do any like doggy style type positions or give blowjobs on my knees or whatever, then I'll be like, can I do this instead? Would you do this instead? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I like this is because it is a way of like getting my boundaries to be respected usually, but in a way that often feels really fun for the other person too, because like, a lot of people, especially good people going on dates in good faith, like really want to know what you would enjoy and when what you're up for um, and don't necessarily want to suggest things, especially if they're worried that you might be made uncomfortable by them or whatever. So if you can come forward with your desires, that can be really helpful, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think being upfront about like why you have the boundaries that you do and that they are like in flux, that you're figuring things out that like you recognize that it's kind of a, like, complicated process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you are surrounding yourself with... And again, like, the... You can kind of unlock the, ba- like, disclosing boundaries as you kind of increase levels of intimacy, right? You don't need to sit down on a first date and roll out every boundary you have about every activity you may do together. Um, so as you get closer and you trust these people, you may be rolling out more and more boundaries and more and more like, oh, well, I would like to have sex with you. So this is what you need to know about having sex with me, right? I would like to go to Ikea with you. So this is what you would need to know about going to Ikea with me, right? You, Mm -hmm. as you're disclosing these boundaries, they're happening over time and you're also getting closer and more connected with this person. So Provided you both trust each other and this person is invested in making sure you have a good time and and the same is true, they're going to be, you know, you're going to be choosing to disclose this stuff to someone you trust and hopefully the people you trust are going to be people who are invested in helping you feel safe. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to be 
combative against your boundaries. They're going to be wanting to be on the same team as you. And if you're recognizing that like, hey, this is a flexible process, I'm figuring it out, but for right now, this is what's true for me and I'll keep you posted. And you're both acting in good faith. I don't think it it needs to feel like this process of you complaining and setting up all these rules all the time and them like striking them down and trying to dodge them and figure out how to like avoid all these boundaries. Like that's not what a relationship is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also wonder if uh, it would be useful when you're about to hook up with someone to set like kink style safe words like red, mm-hmm. yellow, green. Because um, potentially like if you frame that as like something that that goes along with like kink or rough sex or what have you, then it might not feel as intimidating as being like, hey, I'm going to need to say red when like I'm having a weird gender feeling or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Any kind of communication tools that you can just build in that can make it easier to be like, hey, maybe not so much of that without having to be like, I'm having a gender feeling, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. Um, I guess just one more question, which was sort of general. Um, The person was asking, is there any way, is there any way to practice without just going on dates and ruining them for myself and the people involved. I mean, not really. Kind <laughs> of. I, there's a bit to tease apart here. Because, um, like, I suppose you're risking ruining them. But there is a, a huge spectrum between having a fantastic date and ruining a date. Like, Yeah, this sounds like catastrophizing to a great extent. Yeah. I think you're more likely to practice by having a lot of mediocre dates, which yeah. people who date often are used to having. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think it would also be helpful to practice by putting yourself in social situations that aren't necessarily a date, but could have uh, a social or even flirty component to them. Um go to parties, go out to a bar, go to, um, you know, uh, meet up for some, you know, something you're interested in, go learn a new skill, take a class, things like that that have you out and socializing and having lots of low-stakes social interactions with new people can help Mm -hmm. you kind of flex that extrovert muscle, that, you know, social muscle, and have you... Get your body used to and your brain used to social interactions in this kind of environment again, uh, mm-hmm. because you'll feel more confident and comfortable going into some higher stakes social interactions that look similar, right? If I'm talking to a bunch of people who I know I'm probably not going to see again, I'm comfy having that as practice for when I go to a party full of people that, like, I think are pretty cool. It's like, all right, well, I went to a party kind of like this last week, and, like, they thought I was pretty cool there, so my odds at this one are pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, I've been for several years trying to become less of, like, a shy wallflower, which is always how I was, like, the entire time I was growing up. And, like, doing this podcast isn't part of that for me because I've just, like, developed a better ability to speak extemporaneously, which is an important (laughs) skill when you're, like, going to parties and stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I did find it so helpful to socialize with friends and at parties and stuff in a way that was almost like practicing this new version of myself that I wanted to become or that I saw myself becoming. Um, and yeah, you just get better at like inhabiting that space. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely felt at first that it was a bit performative, like as if I was pretending to be an extrovert or something, but I think to some extent you kind of have to do that. You have to sort of like meld your ideal self into your current self and kind of meet yourself in the middle that way. Right. You need to, I mean, the, the, exactly the way this listener said, you need to practice being that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can start doing that surrounded by people who you know are going to support you and encourage you in that, uh, it will give you the confidence and just the muscle memory and get your body used to like, no, we've we've been this person before. We can move through the world as this person before and it went great. And you can just kind of find that place again. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for that listener for sending in those questions. Uh, We really sincerely wish the best of luck to folks who have been exploring new genders and new sexualities, et cetera, through the pandemic. I imagine Mm -hmm. it's pretty damn scary, especially since the situation itself is like pretty unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really admire the bravery of folks who are doing that right now. Yeah, thank you so much for sending in those questions. I always love getting to answer stuff from the folks who are listening to the show. Yep. I have been Kate Sloan. I have a sex blog at girlyjuice.net. My book is coming out in October. You can pre-order it at 101kinkythings.com. It's really beautiful. I've had my copy on my desk all week, and I'm just staring at it and being like, ah, what a pretty book. Um, I have a Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice, and you can listen to my other podcast. It's called Question Box. Where is your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find my writing and information about my workshops at BexTalkSex.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BexTalkSex. I'm teaching my Better Bottoming workshop the end of this month. Uh, it's going to be on Zoom, so you can get it from anywhere in the world. So you can go to BexTalkSex.com and just take a look in the sidebar for more information on that and where to get your tickets. I would love to see you there. I'm really enjoying doing my workshops online. Uh, I'm also real naked on the internet under the name Billy Lore. So if you go to Twitter and search at Billy Lore or just for fans, you can find me there. Together we're the Dildorks. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Dildorks. We're also at patreon.com slash the Dildorks where you can toss a couple of bucks our way and help us keep doing what we're doing. We have some very exciting updates coming over there. So keep an eye out for that soon. Ear out. We're a podcast. Keep an ear out. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I was just thinking about the phrase "keep your eyes peeled," and then it was like "keep your no. ears peeled." No, no. Um, <laughs> just fully derailed myself with that thought. So upset. Uh, thank you so much to Protodome who did our theme song "I Want You in My Bedroom," and thank you to Amy who did our logo. She's at Starboots underscore on Twitter, and thank you so much to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy dorky life. Bye. Bye.